0: For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the Ministry 127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. This podcast is on reaching and keeping people in your local church with Dr. Mark Rasmussen. Dr. Rasmussen has been serving at West Coast Baptist College since 1997 as the vice president, and he has over 30 years of teaching experience at the college level.
1: It would be impossible for me to tell you the story of what the Lord has done in my life here, without giving you a little bit of my history, I was, grew up in a pastor's home. I was born on the campus of Bob Jones University. My dad was student body president, got an honorary doctorate from there when he was 33. And my dad pastored the same church. He's now co-pastor, really a pastor emeritus, where he's been for 50 years. I grew up in the home of the man I consider to be the third best personal winner I've ever known. My entire life at home, my dad went soul winning four nights a week. At one point in my life, my dad had 400 personal converts in the church. And I'll tell you quite honestly, men, I thought I can't do that. I said, I'm not going to live that way. I'm not interested. Now, I went soul winning every week. I, would, I should say this. I went visiting every week. I am 53 years of age. I've worked at three very high profile ministries that are all known for soul winning. To my shame, while I went visiting, I was not a soul winner. I did not have fruit that remained. About 15 years ago, Pastor Paul Chappell's brother, Stephen, who you've met, was attending a college where I was a vice president that I helped start. And Pastor Chapel asked me to come out to Lancaster to help start another college. I had no desire. I was the only vice president of a school of 550. My home was paid for. I was very happy there. And I said, no, thank you. So we pray about it. I said, no, thank you. I'm fine. Uh, I used to ride motorcycles out here. I knew what a beautiful place this was. <laughs> and uh, I tell people as I travel, I travel about 100 days a year. I say, this area looks just like your area if you had been hit by an atomic bomb. Okay, And uh, so pastor always says there's beauty in the desert, and that perfectly illustrates the fact that love is blind. Okay, so uh, we do have great sunsets. And, of course, then I remind people that's because of the dirt in the air. So, But uh, that's really true. Pastor Chappell came back to that college the next year, talked to me again, said, hey, I want you to come help me start a college. They started the college, I think, with 27 students that year. I said, no, thank you. And he came back the third year, and he taught. He said, Doc, let me ask you a question. I said, certainly, sir. He said, how's your fruit? I said, well, I've been teaching students. I said, I've taught students who are serving the Lord all over the world. He goes, no, no, no. He said, how's your soul winning fruit? I said, not too good. That night I couldn't go to sleep. Because in my heart of hearts, Although God has allowed me to preach in over 500 churches in 46 states, I knew that people have been saved through preaching, praise the Lord. I knew in my personal soul winning, there wasn't one person in that church I'd won to Christ or the church before where I'd served. And I'll ask you a tough question this morning. In John 15, 16, where it says, I've commanded you and ordained you that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Who in your church have you led to Christ? Or who have you invited to church, they heard the preaching, maybe when you preached or your pastor preached, and they walked the aisle, and they got saved, that would you would be sharing in that fruit. The next day I saw Pastor Chaplin, I said, I've been thinking about what you said. I said, I'll visit you next time. I was preaching out or two or three times. He said, let me fly you. I said, no, no strings. I said, I'll just visit you. And I came out here for Wednesday night, and I'll be very honest with you. When I invite people to this conference, I say, we have great preaching, but there's great preaching in other conferences. I said, if you can get some of the things in the workshops, it could change your life. Because, man, it changed my life coming here. I found out about hospitality. After the service is over, he said, I you come to my home. And there was about 50 people there that night. The word hospitality, and this is the only Greek word I'll use, is and That particular word means love of strangers. Love of strangers. I have found that I have a lot of friends I love to have a meal with, I love to talk to. It's awesome. But Jesus was criticized for eating with publicans and sinners. So I'll ask the difficult question again this morning. When was the last time we had a meal with an unsaved person for the purpose of reaching them? I sat in his home about a half a mile from here and it blew my mind, man, because probably of the 50 people there, about 40 of them have been saved in this church. I was thinking, I have not seen it on this kind. The next day, he shared his vision. There was one building on this campus, and one little (laughs) Gibbs Hall. There's only a dorm here. They then had 47 students. They had no gym. They had no dining hall. They were fixing the meals for college at the fairgrounds and driving four miles down in a van. My library, I promise you, was 10 times bigger than the college library. I like books. It was one wall of a room, that size of a wall, not the long wall. I'm going, it's pitiful. But something was going on. I got in my car for spending the day with the pastor, headed down to 14. I told my wife, I said, we need to go here. I said, we need to do what these people are doing. We did a movie. It took seven months to sell our house. We rented about a 1,000 square foot house, significantly smaller than where we were living, waiting for our house to sell. First night I got here, I got a call. I said, We got to get after it now. I drove to Quartz Hill. No GPSs back then. Didn't know how to get there. It took me forever to find it. 20 minutes away. Found the guy. He was everything that I am not NIV Bible, Saturday night church praise and worship music. I put on the card, saved, dead end. <laughs> Pastor Chapel called for me soon after that. He said, Doc, where are you at right now? I'm going, Lancaster Baptist Church. He goes, no, where are you at? I said, West Coast Baptist College. He goes, no, where are you at geographically? I said, Southern California. He said, exactly. You're not in the Bible Belt anymore. There's 300,000 people in this valley. There's two independent Baptist churches. He said, go get them. I really thought he was a compromiser. I'm going to the guys a Neil. Why would I want to be around him? He said, when people come here, they're not fundamentalist. It was like a little epiphany.
0: <laughs>
1: I knew enough that I didn't, I knew that I didn't know how to do it. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, did you invite him to your home? Man, that wouldn't have crossed my mind if you'd give me a thousand years to think about it. <laughs> Why would I want some neo to come to my house? I went and told my wife, I said, he wants us to invite to our home. She goes, well, we might as well try it our way has it work?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, went back, I said, why not you come to our home for a meal? And by the way, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you Amen. care. And of the first 56 adults I saw joining this church, 52 had been at our home for a meal. Amen. Two years ago, Pastor Chapel had 1,400 people at his home in one year. We invited Lou Anita Leinberger over. I had no idea. I, I knew Lou had come here to work on the Joint Strike Fighter program. I didn't know at that time he made $200,000 a year. Mm-hmm. We became friends. Lou got rebaptized. Mm-hmm. Lou joined this church. He was a member here for nine years before he moved away with the GSF program going to, I believe, Fort Worth. One day I was announcing, college was very young, five, six years old, I said, we need a snack shop. And I teach the auditorium Sunday school class and I said, uh, you guys pray with me. We need to have a snack shop here. And Lou walked up to me afterwards, and I said, how much would it be? I said, well, I've got to have a fire suppression system, a grill, fryers. It's probably $15,000, grand. That week, I got an envelope, no letter, just a check, $16,000. I went to the pastor. I said, pastor, we got the money for the snack shop. He goes, who gave it to you? So Lou Leinberger. goes, yeah, not our kind of people, huh? Laughter I could promise you this, that when you begin to reach and keep people in your local church, it changes church for you. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ says that we are ambassadors for Christ. You want people to love you, you want people to love God, love the church, you want to get excited about Sunday, have some visitors coming.
0: Amen.
1: Amen. If you're an assistant pastor here You want to get excited about church and pray for the pastor during the preaching, pray for the singer during the singing, have a visitor there with you. It's an exciting thing. I'm going to move fairly quickly here this morning. First thing we see here, as we look at this, we have to realize that reaching must be the main thing to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. It was what his life was all about. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It must be the main thing. We have to realize that we, and I say we, I'm talking about humanity as a whole. We are lost. Folks, do you ever think about hell? If people don't get saved, they're going to hell. Going through Bible college, I worked as a cook. I was burned a few times. Grease burns, things like that. Cleaning a grill splashes back into the hand. I have a scar on my wrist right here that I got over 40 years ago when I was working on the grounds crew at our church when I hit the muffler before they had a weed whackers, so we used to have little edgers you push along. Man, I'll tell you what, that burn it burned for two or three days. I remember it so well. Could you imagine being in the flames and darkness forever? People are lost. When was the last time we reached in our pocket, took out a gospel track and said, hey, let me give you some good news. By the way, don't say, this is from my church. Say, let me give you some good news. And once they take it, say, the back of that tells you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Then stop and see what God will do. Realize people are lost. Realize that God's Word must be preeminent. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 17, for then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's a great necessity to get the Word of God in the hands of people. One of the things that we do here, everything we put on doors and we hang a lot of things on doors has the gospel on it. You never know who that's going to affect. Put the gospel in the hands of people. I travel a lot. I probably fly 20 times a year. I believe God's going to hold me accountable for every person I sit next to. At least get a track of their hand. By the way, most of them don't get saved. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that find it. But some have. A few have and at least I can put a gospel track in their hand. Let's use the Word of God. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, Isaiah 55, verse number 11. But it shall accomplish that which I please, it shall prosper the thing whereunto I sent it. You say, when I say sharing the Word of God, what am I talking about here today? Sharing tracks, sharing verses. When was the last time we told people what Jesus Christ did in our life? That's what the Apostle Paul did. Let me tell you what happened to me. And that man, tutored at the feet of Gamaliel, knew that his education wasn't the important thing. It wasn't where he went to college. It's, it was where he met Jesus. And that's what we need to be telling people about. Letter C, we need to realize it must be a passion. It must be a passion. I don't know what you are excited about. I could tell very quickly with people, I've been in about 50 churches this summer, if I sit around with someone at a meal, I could find out very quickly what they're interested in. Some people, it's golf. Some people, it's NASCAR. Some people, it's their favorite basketball team. Recently, certainly we've heard much about the World Cup. Boy, they said 10 million people watched TV the night to find out where LeBron James was going. Won't that be important 50 years from now? And I don't think it's wrong to watch a ball game now and then. I watched the seventh game of the NBA final after preaching that night. I think I started watching about 9.30 Eastern time zone where I was at. Enjoyed being in a pastor's basement and talking. Had one of the college guys with me. But I, I know this coming to Lancaster, what God convicted my heart about. I don't watch fiction, I've never rented a video, but I love sports. And one day, pastor was talking about redeeming the time, and it hit me. I said, Well, I do that pretty much. I'm pretty, I stick with it. And it hit me if I watch two or three games a week in Sports Center, That's 16 hours a week. Could you imagine the fruit we would have if we spent 16 hours a week after people? Gentlemen, you might remember this thought, where you sow an emphasis, you will reap a harvest. Where you sow an emphasis, you'll reap a harvest. I could promise you that to be true. What are we sowing in our life? It must be a passion. We've got to be excited about it. That means multiple contacts. That means opening up our home. Sometimes we open up our homes, things will happen that we don't get excited about. I was preaching in Hawaii a few years ago. Brother Shetler, you've been in the same place at Colau during their graduation and camp and all that type of thing. And I said, you guys need to come to our basketball camp sometime. And Brother John Goodale, who's a good friend of mine over there, said, well, that'd be great. But it was during the school year. We need a place to stay. I said, you can stay with me. And I'm thinking eight guys, a coach. We could work it out in our house. And they showed up. And, but it was 14 guys and three coaches. They stayed with us for six days and they were from Hawaii. They were always cold. The heat was up like 80 degrees, you know, it was unbelievable. It was one of the most memorable situations I've ever had, right? Oh, but you know what? Some of those boys came to Bible college. I'm not sorry. We opened up our home. I'm not sorry at all. We've got to have a passion. What are you excited about? Your children know. Your spouse knows. What are you excited about? Are we excited about seeing the transformation of a life? Taken from darkness into light? Knowing that they have an eternity that's secure with the Lord Jesus Christ? The singular most important decision that one can ever make. I've told college students for over three decades now the second most important decision one makes is who they marry. But it pales into utter insignificance in comparison to accepting Christ as one Savior. We need some people to have a passion. We need to next realize that we must have empathy. Empathy. By the way, let me say this about passion and empathy. As I've been trying to train some of these young boys on the road, and by the way, with tour groups to churches where I couldn't probably name one of the churches I've been in the last six weeks, or the street they're on, we've had first-time adult visitors in numbers of those churches by asking people, by asking people, just going after them. Uh, When I wanted to get my wife, I'm going to give you a very simple formula. I visited her; she visited me. I wrote her, I called her, I bought her gifts. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? When I'm after someone for this church, I visit them, they visit me, I write them, I call them, I buy them gifts. Because that is what we do for people we care about. I have some friends in the ministry. Um, One of them is here today, Pastor Wendell. He likes to read, he's been a friend of mine for a number of years. I, I read a quote the other day from Baptist History. I photocopied it and sent it to him. He's a friend. I care about him. I didn't do that with 100 people. By the way, I've got about 8 to 10 people on my sweetheart list at a given time. This might be of help to them. This might be a good book for them. By the way, something I do when I lead a man to Christ, and most folks I lead to Christ end up being men, the way it works here at this church, I give them, number one, Kerry Schmidt's book, "Done," A Great Book of Assurance. Number two, I give Elder Martin's book, Steps of a Good Man, on Basic Christian living. Number three, I give John Getch's book on What's in Your Mind, because that's every man's battle. Say, why would you do that? I want to invest in their life. I want them to know that I care about them. I was at a church on Father's Day and they had a bunch of gifts over. I said, Can I have those? They were nice about 50 cent or one dollar bookmarks on men. So what'd you do for them? I sent them to the converts. I get, I just want them, I was thinking about you. Thought you'd like to have this for your Bible. When I was dating my wife Susan, thirty years ago, I was teaching in Northwest Indiana, she was living in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I had one day off for the Fourth of July. I taught summer school one day, the next day was off. I left after summer school at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock. I drove eight or nine hours from Indiana to Chattanooga because I cared about her. I spent about four or five hours with her the next day. Then I got back in my car, drove eight or nine hours back to teach summer school the next day. That's what we do. We care about people. Jerry Fursten was sitting on the platform when I was here in early early years when I came here. and I saw a man down the second row didn't raise his hand. Jerry Furso went down to him, and said, sir, he said, I saw you didn't raise your hand that you're a Christian. He said, can I come by and visit you? The man said, no, sir. Brother Furso, obviously having great empathy, said, I I think you've got a burden, sir. Is there something I can pray?" He said, my son's having open heart surgery. And just as the sovereignty of God would have it, out of the 150 staff members here, one man here has had a son with three open heart surgeries, Jerry Furso. He said, my son's had three of those. Let me come by and talk to you about that. The man said, Sure. First, he wrote his name in the address, Dad, and it stuck in his Bible. He went over to one of these modules where he taught his Sunday school class at that time. As we sometimes do when we're preaching, he took all the papers out of his Bible and stuck them in the pulpit. He went back for the second service. Oh, that guy's address is in the pulpit. Went back after church. The Spanish were in there. Couldn't get in. Went to lunch. Came back after lunch. By then, most of us would say, he probably isn't one of the elect. <laughs> well, we wouldn't say that. We just act like that. But um, he came back. Spanish service was over, went in the pulpit, someone cleaned the pulpit out, thrown away the papers. He went outside the big, at that time, 55-gallon trash can. We've upgraded slightly since so then. They'd had a Spanish fellowship, free whole lace and salsa. It was <laughs> packed up and overflowing. He went to church that night, as during the sermon, he kept thinking about that man's name. Went back after church, someone had emptied the trash can. The next morning, he came back over here wearing jeans, tennis shoes, and sweatshirt and started going through dumpsters. Found the man's name. Led him to Christ on Tuesday night. Amen. That's when you're serious about reaching and keeping people. I had a man greet me at this conference. He says, "Dave Fizz said to say hi to you." I said, "Wonderful, <laughs> Dave Fizz." My dad led Dave Fizz the Lord on the 14th visit to his home. He later became chairman of the board of deacons. Led his wife to the Lord. They taught the Christian school for 33 years apiece. All three of the daughters went kindergarten through 12th grade. All three daughters graduated in Christian school. All at one time were in Christian work. Combined that family have over 100 years of full time Christian service. I think my dad's glad he went back the 14th time. Do we have a passion? Do we have an empathy? We talk about empathy. Caring leads to sharing. One night while conducting an evangelistic meeting in the Salvation Army Citadel in Chicago, Booth Tucker preached on the sympathy of Jesus. After the message, a man approached him and said, if your wife had just died like mine has and your babies were crying for their mother, who would never come back, you wouldn't say what you're saying. Tragically, a few weeks later, Tucker Booth's wife was killed in a train wreck. Her body was brought to Chicago and carried to that same citadel for a service. After the service, the bereaved preacher looked down at the silent face of his wife and then turned to those attending. The other day, a man told me I wouldn't speak of the sympathy of Jesus if my wife had just died. If that man is here, I want him to know that Christ is all sufficient. My heart is broken, but it has a song put there by Jesus. I want that man to know that Christ is comforting me today. We need to let people know that Christ is comforting us. Number two, first we have to reach people. Secondly, keeping. Keeping is the obverse side of the coin. Much like repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin, the same thing is true with keeping. Oft times in fundamentalism, we have people pray a prayer, they may be genuinely saved, and then we abandon them, almost like a newborn infant, never to be seen again. One of the things we believe here at Lancaster Baptist Church that First they get saved, then they get baptized, then they get discipled, then they get serving, then we go on to the next person. And really until we see them serving, I don't think my job is done because people are saved to serve, not saved to sit. That's what God would have them to do. So we have to be in a situation where each and every one of us realize that keeping is res- or How do we do this? Letter A, develop relationships and friendships. I like the old quote, be nice to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. I teach the Auditory Study School class here. My wife has every single person in that class. There's hundreds of them on her cell phone. We're traveling. She's calling them. How you doing? Thinking about you. Develop relationships. This takes time and energy. That's all. It's the only way it can be done. Time and energy. Jesus said, somebody had touched me for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. They will tire you. They will call you at odd times, but we are to give to them if we want to keep them. Second Corinthians 12, verse 15, Paul says, I will very gladly spend to be spent for you. The more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I wonder, are we willing to be spent for the cause of Christ, for those that are around? Decide to pay the cost secondly. That means multiple contexts, going back again and again and again. Uh, that means we're going to be soul conscious that means we ought to always have, as surely as I want to have my wallet in my pocket, a pit in my pocket, a three by five card, that I'm going to have some tracks or I'm not ready for the day. It's a ludicrous thought to think of a man going to Kuwait or going over to Iraq or Afghanistan right now and going out into battle and leaving his rifle at home. Of course not. Are we equipped? Are we ready? Are the people in our churches equipped? Are they soul conscious to be carrying tracks, to be thinking, to be looking for people? By the way, sometimes it's not always going to be easy. I, I got a call that a card brother first gave me, and I'll be honest with you, I was complaining about it. I've given a lot of folks who are in the 50s and 60s because of the age of the auditorium Sunday school class. I saw the name Dave Payne. I took my son Mark. And by the way, it's a wonderful thing when your children are with you and they see people get saved. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Amen. I could tell you a lot of stories about that. I got my son Mark on Saturday morning, and we began to drive. Day Payne lived 25 miles away from here. I wasn't happy about it at all. We went all the way out there. We're at 40th and J. He's at 165th by 40th to 50th a mile, 50th to 60th a mile. And he's at, he's at 165th W4. <laughs> I know where he lives. I've been there a number of times. We got about halfway there and I had a lot to do that day. I was actually doing a meal for pastor at his home at lunchtime. And I was helping him with that. And I'm going, man, this is the way out there. I said, let's call the guy, see if he's there. I called no answer. Satan said, he's not even there. I literally pulled my Yukon to the road to make a U-turn and head back. I said, no, we've got to go there. Because the guy put on his car he's interested in salvation. We drove out there. I told my son, having a positive spirit, an encouraging spirit, I said, it's probably in a double wide on a dirt road with wild dogs. (laughs) It was a double wide on a dirt road with wild dogs. I knocked at the door, but somebody opened the door. It was Dave Payne. He looked sharp looking guy. And I said, Sir, I'm from Lancaster Baptist Church. He said, I was hoping someone would come. We walked in. As soon as I walked in, I'd go, Lo and verily, this is not like any double wide I've ever been in. There were trophies. I didn't know what the trophies were. Having a gift of being Captain Obvious, I said, uh, I see you've been on a safari. He said, Well, I've been on four in the last seven years. Very unusual for people in double wides to go on safaris to Africa. <laughs> I said, you know, now I'm curious. What do you do? He said, well, I'm a biomedical engineer. And then I said, of course, again, putting my foot in my mouth. I said, why do you live here? He goes, my wife loves horses. I said, okay, all right, got it. Yeah. <laughs> about an hour later, Dave Payne bowed his head and prayed to accept the Christ as the Savior. Amen. He's volunteering here at this conference today. Amen. He owns several patents on things that are implanted in people's arms for stroke victims so they don't atrophy in their arms. I invited him to lunch the next day. That's what you do when you care about people. Amen. I'd already invited a couple of colleges. I said, you guys come too. I said, just be quiet while well, I talk to this couple because his wife wasn't saved. And she did not get saved. She did not like me. She wanted nothing to do with me. So I sent my wife out there. But uh, <laughs> I tried to witness to her. She says, don't start. She said, I'm here to support him. I ride horses on Sunday. I want nothing to do with religion. It's said, okay. I did write her. I did send her some books and some CDs. Sent my wife by. About That was February of last year. About December, Dave said, man, we're having marriage problems. Dave was coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You might have seen this picture on a couple of screens. He was a guy with a kind of bald head and goatee being discipled. That's Dave Payne. Being discipled by a guy by then, Paul Paul the pastor led to Christ. And uh, Dave Payne called me and said, man, we're having marriage problems. He goes, man, it seems like I'm, I'm just learning stuff and thinking new things. My wife's not there. I said, well, I'd be glad to counsel you. He said, come in on Saturday. I'll take you out for lunch. That's what we do for people we care about. They came to my office in December, seven months ago. I said, Terry, I can help you with your marriage. Would you like to have a happy marriage? She said, yes. I said, you need to get saved. (laughs) And praise the Lord she got saved. If you were here last Wednesday night, she received her discipleship certificate. My wife just finished discipling her. By the way, she invited her mom to the Easter musical. My wife and I went and visited her mom and led her mom to Christ. Her mom started discipleship next week. It's exciting. It's exciting. I'll tell you what. So develop relationships. Decide to pay the cost. Do not be discouraged. By the way, gentlemen, the sad part is I didn't start till I was 40. And I wonder how many people yeah. are going to hell because I didn't try. Because I was so busy doing good things, I forgot the best things. Don't be discouraged. Most people don't get saved. I could tell you a lot of great stories of scores of people who have gotten saved, but on the other hand, I will tell you the other side of that coin. I know I've knocked on 15 to 20,000 doors since I've been here, and most of them have gotten saved. Genesis 24 is the story of Eliezer going to find a bride for Isaac. In verse number five, he does what a typical Baptist would do. He asks Abraham, what if she will not be willing to come? (laughs) Verse 8, Abraham answers and says this, Then thou shalt be clear from this thy oath. There's a phenomenal principle there, gentlemen. We are not responsible for results, only for obedience. You can encourage your people with that. They say, I've gone for six months and no one's come. I go back to the stories of people that the three greatest soul winners I believe my lifetime, one man was by the name of C.W. Fisk, we honored him here at a leadership conference. He served in one church in Indiana for 16 years. By the way, when he left there after 16 years, there were 108 people in the church that were Sunday school teachers, ushers, or deacons he'd won to Christ. The second best is Jerry First, so some of you have heard him here. Fifteen years in a row of having 20 or more families down there unbaptized. He really is the one who trained me. By the way, One of the unique things about coming to work here, yes, I'm the vice president of West Coast Baptist College. With my hand on the word of God, Jerry First was called me in my office at least a hundred times, say, hey, let's go knock some doors today. Before I came here, it happened one time in my life. Now, I've always been in so many ministries. We have our night to go. And I tell preachers this as I travel, imagine if you owned a Ford dealership and you were open from Thursday nights from 7 to 8.30, and that's the only time you sold cars, how long would you be open? There must be a soul consciousness. You never know where you're going to meet him. We have to realize that Satan will try to discourage us. Some seeds will sprout within a week or two. I led a couple of the Lord, led their children to the Lord. He became an usher here. They were here for a long time. And most summers, I'm only here for a Sunday or two in the summer. And three summers ago, I came back and they were gone. And their daughters got married. One was up north, one was down south. They started going on weekends to visit them. Eric and Deborah, I still pray for them. You're going to lose some. They don't all stay in the church. Let's yeah, yeah. be real, realistic here. But don't be discouraged, because the next person may be right around the corner. Uh, some families won't like you. Two years ago in November, I led a young man to the Lord who was twenty years of age. His name is Alexander Patton. And he currently teaches at UCLA, the chemistry department. They paid him eighty thousand dollars to stay and work on his doctorate. He's a lot smarter than I am. But I don't need to be smarter than him because I've got the truth right here. Amen. Amen. Alexander got saved. He comes here every Sunday. He doesn't drive. He's 22. What in the world? But, so he's smarter than me in some areas. I'm smarter than him in some areas. I could drive, you know. I love Alexander, though. He's, I can't write him because his mom throws all my letters away. She's Greek Orthodox. His dad's Buddhist. They hate me. They say I ruin their family. But that's okay because Alexander's going to be in heaven someday. And he's my son in the faith. <laughs> Saw another man here today. He's ushered our church. I met him about ten years ago, door knocking for an open house. By the way, very seldom does it happen like it did with Dave Payne, where that day they get saved. Usually, you go back again and again and again and again. His name is Bob Humphrey. I was finishing up. It was a hot day. And I was about to go out and get some health food, at a little place called Wendy's over here. And, and uh, <laughs> so we had a Frosty and a Diet Coke and an iced tea. It was like 105 degrees, but not knock a door for a couple hours with my daughter. And we're walking back to the car, there was a little connecting story. We use maps here. And I said, is that on our map? I knew it was. I couldn't say the map was done. I said, you take that side, I'll take this side. <laughs> I had passion, passion to get to Wendy's. And, my side it was great, no one was home. I was good. I was ready to go.
0: <laughs> you been there?
1: Okay. Looked across the street. There's a couple of ladies with dresses there. I knew they were either Baptists or Mormons. And uh they're waving me over. They said, Dr. R. I said, You're not in the college, are you? I think I know you, the college is much smaller then. I said, No, we're in the choir, because our choir was bigger than the college at that time. He said, Well, you talked to our dad, sure. Well, I didn't know them, I certainly didn't know their dad. Their dad came out in the garage there, introduced himself, he's 20 year Air Force retired guy, he suits up the guys for the B two bomber. He's now civilian service doing the same thing. I said, Bob, I said, you ever visit Lancaster Baptist Church? He said, I have. How do you like it? Didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Now you tell me, where do you go from there? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like fish out of water, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I said, Bob, I said, well, it's important to go to church, but the most important thing is knowing for sure you're on your way to heaven. I said, Bob, I said. Have you ever thought what would happen to you when you die? He goes, man, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I didn't know that their daughters had both gotten saved through door knocking. had had the singles department praying for them. That day Bob got saved. Bob got baptized the next day. He had their whole family over to our home for a meal. Because that's what you do when you care about people. I've given them gifts and books. I guarantee you, I, write my, I try to write my converse, a postcard, once a month. I guarantee you I've written Bob Humphrey at least 100 postcards. Because he's my son. I love him. His wife doesn't like me. She says I broke up her family. But I'm glad that Bob's not going to hell. George Sweeting wrote a book called No Guilt Guide for Witnessing. That was a blessing to me. He tells of a man by the name of John Currier who in 1949 was found guilty of murder. He was sentenced to life on a work farm. Later he was paroled to work on a Farm near Nashville, Tennessee. In 1968, 20 years later, his sentence was terminated. A letter bearing the good news was sent to him. But John Courier never got the letter. Life at the farm was hard without promise. He kept doing what he was told. Ten years went by, and a parole officer learned about Courier's plight, found him, and said, Man, you were freed a long time ago. Could you imagine how happy John Courier was to hear that good news? His sentence was over. Years ago, back in the 1940s, there was a book printed, it was short sermons by a man by the name of Jack Schuler. his brother was Phil Schuler, a very famous evangelist. Sermon number one of that book was, I a prisoner. And people are prisoners of sin, right. but we have the key to the chains. Amen. Sweetie concluded the story by asking, would it matter to you if someone sent you an important message, the most important in your life, and year after year, that urgent message was never delivered? We who have heard the good news and experienced freedom through Christ are responsible to deliver that message to those who are enslaved by sin. Don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, we will reap if we faint not. You say, well, you haven't told me a lot of really new innovative things I've ever heard before. Now you visit them, they visit you, you write them, you call them, you buy them gifts. Because that's what you do for people you care about. I challenge you to think about the question of who have you written, called, bought gifts for that you're trying to win to Christ in the last week? Men, there's nothing like it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for life will last, for Christ will last. And this is what will really last. I challenge you to be soul conscious. Do your best to try to reach people and to try to keep people. I believe with all my heart that every single person here can be what I like to call a difference maker one last two quick stories and I'm done my dad called me up about three or four years ago and 78, 79, I said son got a wonderful blessing to share with you it's a wonderful blessing So, what's that dad? He said I led a Hindu doctor the Lord So said that's awesome dad I tend to have a little more levity than I've had today due to the topic I think I made some joke I said did he have a red dot in his forehead You know? he goes I think he did you know and my dad said, Well, son, he said, you visit him with me. And I said, Dad, you've got a better memory than I do, but I don't think so. I said, I think I'd remember a Hindu doctor. He said, No, you visit him with me. I said, I'm sure I didn't visit him, Dad. He goes, You did, but you were still in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time. This was nine years later. I said, Dad, how many times did you visit him? He said, Over 100. You see, I think he really cared whether or not that man went to heaven or hell. By the way, he got baptized. He joined the church. I believe with all my heart that if we will go after people. And by the way, be willing to talk to people that maybe other people wouldn't talk to. My friend Pastor Wilkerson here has a great idea. He went to, he's in a huge metropolitan city. He went to many, 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 many funeral homes and said, hey, you ever need anyone to preach a funeral? I'll do it for free. That challenged me, John. I want you to know I was your teacher in college. You taught me that day. I went over to our funeral home. I said, "If you ever need anybody, I'll do it for free." I've seen some people saved through that. Because last year I was preaching in Colorado, and we had a youth activity on a Saturday night, and we had some guys come in that were just a little bit different. If you know what I am saying, they brought their own lightsabers with them. What in the world? I haven't seen Star Wars, but I knew it was from Star Wars. They had long hair they were wearing jean jackets in the middle of the summer for some unknown reason we had the activity i spoke we were wrapping things up but i asked the youth pastor i said are those guys saved he said i have no idea by the way we can just ask him to find out he said they've only been to our church once i said "Do you mind if i talk to them they're two brothers they were 17 and 15 tim and ben I took them outside at a picnic table. We sat down. About 35 minutes later, Tim and Ben bowed their head and prayed, accepted Christ as their Savior. Amen. By the way, I don't know the church. I don't even know the name of the place where they're at in Colorado. I do know where they live because I write them and I send them gifts because that's what you do for people you care about. They went to teen camp later that summer. Heard Dr. John Getch. That'll help you. Yeah. Amen. Dr. Getch called me up. He says, Man, I met your converts. He goes, Something else.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks doc <laughs> we actually do get along phenomenally well he said but you know what he said doc he says the youth pastor said they're on fire Amen. the rest of the story I got an email about a month ago from one of our, our assistant Dean men he goes hey do you remember a guy named Tim in Colorado he said you led him to Christ last year I said I remember him well he said I thought you'd want to know He applied today to come to West Coast Baptist College. I have commanded you and ordained you that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson is on reaching and keeping people in your local church with Dr. Mark Rasmussen. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this ministry127 podcast.